Welcome to episode 14 of Guaranteed Audio. I'm Kevin James, along with Ryan Murphy. And why are you pointing at me? Oh, Neil Cicerega. We're here to record an episode of our podcast. It is the Ides of November. So by the time you hear this, it'll probably still be November. The end of a decade. The end of 2019. There's another month left, but yeah. Yeah, but come on. We need uh, a month to celebrate. You don't want to do it late. Yeah, we're, we're, gonna, we're trying to get out ahead of the other podcasts that are going to be doing a decade roundup. Yeah, we missed out on talking about Joker and uh, the Sonic movie redesign, but we'll be here before 2020. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so episode 14 is going to be a theme-free episode. Correct. But we still have our rubric. We still have our structure. Let's start with Media Current. Media Current is one of the few pieces of plotted out programming we have in every episode, and it's when we talk about things we've been experiencing lately, usually movies or music, Mm -hmm. uh, video games, any piece of artwork. Ryan, what have you sunk your teeth into lately? Well, since we last left off, which was a little while ago, uh, I have a couple of things, which is why I'm going to be short, sweet, and to the point, but I'm open to questions from Mm -hmm. you guys. Unlike most episodes of Guaranteed Audio, Ryan Murphy read a book. (gasps) I read a whole book, which when you finish, when you're no longer ordered to read books by a teacher for school, college, postgraduate, whatever, it's really hard to get back in the habit. (laughs) It's Or you start a book, you get 20 to 40 pages in, a real adult novel. Uh, It's hard. But I Thank you. I I feel alone in that sometimes, but I- And you shouldn't. You're right. It's hard. I haven't read a book for for pleasure in a long time. Kevin, isn't it super hard? Have you also had this problem? I just want to say I'm pro-literacy on guaranteed audio here. Um, You know, yeah, you'd think psychologically when you're not being forced to read, it'd be a little more liberating and fun after a while. Like, oh, I'm just reading on my own accord. Mm Mm-hmm. When I get into a good rhythm with a book, it is rewarding. Like I read through the first three Harry Potter books in like two weeks and I was having a lot of fun. Then I got to four and it was such a slog. I put it down and I still haven't finished it. And that was like a year and a half ago. There you go. It's hard, isn't it? But yeah, you read those. You've read a bunch of Stephen King. You probably read a lot more than either of us, right? That's that's a bummer because I don't read that much at all. (laughs) Most of Stephen King I read, especially in the last year or so, has just been going through the anthologies of Stephen King shorts, which are collections of things he wrote for like Reader's Digest and Playboy and stuff like that. They're good. Most of the stories are like under 40 pages. Some of them are a couple hundred. Reading something that's not on a screen is it wires your brain differently. The neuron, the synapses to the neurons, it's good for you. It's good for you to read something that's not on a, yeah. So what are you reading then? I finished Margaret Atwood's The Testaments. Now, The Testaments is a sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. Now, I don't want to give away anything too much from this book, which is really fun, really exciting. But the short, and you guys haven't watched The Handmaid's Tale yet, nor read the book. Uh, The short version is, I enjoyed it, but it kind of read like fan fiction. Because Margaret Atwood hasn't touched this intellectual property since she read it in the 80s, since she wrote it in the 80s. And if it wasn't a multi-Emmy winning television show, Hulu exclusive, I doubt she would have dusted off the universe of Gilead again. It did read kind of like fan service. And I'm a fan. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. When did these books come out? Testaments came out uh, in September. Oh, 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 The Handmaid's Tale came out back in the eight, the mid-80s. I, I want to say 85. Uh, okay. I can't remember the last time I read a book that was modern and current. I've had books heavily marketed towards me. Bruce Springsteen wrote a book. And yeah. I, I remember yeah. the marketing for that was attacking me for six months on 
Facebook, Twitter, YouTube ads. Mm-hmm. Like you should really read this Bruce Springsteen book. I was like, ah, you know, I love Bruce, but I, I, I don't care. Yeah. Like I get it. I know, I know enough about him. Like I don't need to go that far down the rabbit hole with Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Reading a good book. It's totally new. It's called Garfield choose the fat. I, <laughs> you guys get me books for Christmas like every year too. Well, usually they're not hard reads, right? Or books you can't read. Like you got me like a Simpsons picture book. It was a, it was an adaptation of the first episode. Oh, right. Yeah. I will mo- say, oh, continue. That was more just like a pop culture artifact. That's what I like books. I like books that are, um, you think they're quaint? Yes. <laughs> uh, I like, I, no, I like books that are, that you can kind of get some enjoyment out of them. Just flipping through them randomly. Coffee table books. Stuff like that. Like the Farside collections. Farside collections. I love uh, the Farside. Sure. Yeah. that back. Uh, stuff. Yeah. Or photo books um, or just books that are uh, glossaries. Reference material. <laughs> Reference material. I will say something to tie in the tie in the Handmaid's Tale and the Testaments to the audience of both of you in front of me uh, without spoiling the story. It's from the perspective of three characters two of whom are new to us, and the third, this does not ruin it for anyone who's listened to it, or read the first book, or watched the show, is Aunt Lydia. Because of the first couple of pages, he said, my name is Aunt Lydia. And if you've read the book or know the show, you know her. And I was happy to see that in the official audiobook version, on the television program, she's portrayed by Anne Dowd, who you might know as Patty Levin from The Leftovers. She's great. And she does, in fact, voice... Aunt Lydia in the audio. As reading the book, I couldn't picture it as anyone else. I pictured old Winona Ryder. <laughs> <laughs> like Winona Ryder in old makeup, like in Star Like in Trek. so many good movies. Yeah. Forgive me, <laughs> oh, but yeah. you're probably picturing Aunt Lydia as a sympathetic character. Yeah. Oh, no. I haven't read. Oh. No, I'm I'm, actually, I'm thinking Auntie Nelda from the Ernest films. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about. Oh my god, I would love to see a cosplayer Auntie Nelda, Aunt Lydia. Of if anyone at home, please, if you make this, send us pictures. We'll give you money. You, uh, yeah, I'll do. Mm-hmm. I'll do. I'll hold up to that. Uh, but yeah, she's a pretty. She's a scary person. <laughs> Another fun thing I've done recently. Shout out to our friend and ally Max Pacheco. Max and I went out to the uh, Brattle Theater. We waited for hours and hours and hours out in the cold. I wore, the, I wore the right shoes this time. Years ago, Max and I waited hours and hours to see the New England premiere of The Witch with the, the actress who played Thomason and the director, Robert Eggers. Yeah. And we did it again uh, a few weeks ago for the North America premiere of The Lighthouse. Yeah. Now, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe weren't there, but Robert Eggers was there again. Mm-hmm. It was a great show. He did a great Q&A, and it was super fun. I really need to see that this week. It's I, cool. I, I had the that. opportunity to see it, and I saw Terminator instead, because hmm. <laughs> I thought Terminator would be in theaters for a weekend, and I think I'm right. I think I made the right bet. Do, do catch it, though. I saw it with my wife um, and our first date movie in a while. Um, and we needed a, a unicorn chaser afterwards because it, it's a, it's not really a feel good movie. Oh no, no, <laughs> it's a, it is definitely a comedy, but it's a feel bad comedy, I guess. Um, Hereditary has is so joyless mm-hmm. that I think yeah, Eggers even brought that up during the Q and A afterwards, which was again great. Yeah, I had to have a little levity. It's only the second film I've ever made, and he wrote it with his brother of like, yeah, it needs some levity. I've learned uh, some lessons. My good friend Anthony Guillen and I got a, a bite to eat the other day. My documentary, Not for Resale, was being shown at uh, Fitchburg State University. And after I screened it, I did a Q&A where a bunch of film students asked about making the movie. Anthony and I got together. Anthony went to Fitchburg with me, and we were 
talking about the lighthouse because Anthony had just seen it. And his summation of the film was that the theme of the movie is the old guard pretends that they're helping you and preparing you for the real world. And they're just manipulating you through this false guise of wisdom. Oh, there's tons of gaslighting. There's a lot. That's basically like the, the MO of that film, right? That's one of the MOs. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> a, that's a pretty solid interpretation. Yeah. There's a lot going on here and I hate to ruin some of the fun stuff for no, Kevin. But that, that might be the most human um, aspect to the story. I'd say I'll say this. Uh, the witch might be my favorite movie of the last decade. I really like the witch. I need to watch it more. I saw it in theaters. It's great. Um, the lighthouse. I don't know if I like it as much as the witch. I probably just need to rewatch both of them. Okay. Yeah. But I, I will say like in terms of comedy, um, it's the kind of movie where you won't be sure what's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Uh, my advice like is, that, though. <laughs> yeah, my advice is feel free to laugh all you want. Um, when it's time to be scared, you'll know. One last thing about Lighthouse before I move on to my media current. Uh, Willem Dafoe, he's, I think, 66. Been in a lot of movies. He is firmly in the um, part of his career where he can kind of coast if he wants to. Yeah. Uh, not the case in The Lighthouse. I think it's still doing it. He, I, like, he's really, really, like, he's playing a very broad character. There's a lot of, like, he farts a lot and stuff like that. But uh, when he gets, when he, like, gets to go on a roll and, like, really get on fire, like, he's so good in it. He, um, you know, the proper pronunciation of his last name is Defoe. Oh, I did not know that. Defoe just worked better. Rolls off the tongue easier. Mm -hmm. You can find video evidence of him saying Defoe when he was younger on camera. He just stopped correcting people. Oh, the poor man. Weird. You, 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 like people just change your last name for you like that. Yeah. Neil, what's your media current? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, watched a bunch of bad music videos earlier. Sure. No, this won't surprise anyone, but I was listening to some mid-80s Devo records. Uh, They have an album called Shout. came out in 1984. It is considered by fans and critics to be the beginning of the end for them. They they were dropped by their record label after it, um, and when they finally came back like four years later, like none of their albums after that were were good. Um, But I was listening to... This album, I went through it a couple times and I kind of think it's great. It's um, it's it's the, the backstory behind it is it's um, the Mark Mothers Ba, the guy like the lead singer and Mr. Uh, Rugrats. Yeah, the guy who went on to like, yeah, score Rugrats and um, Wes Anderson movies. Uh, it was his first album with a Fairlight CMI, which is like the one of the first digital audio workstations where you can record music, you can sequence music, you can go back and change notes, you can play with samples. So that kind of aesthetic is all over the album. There's a lot of like very, you know, very 80s reverb and little weird samples and stuff. But it's also just, I don't know, like, so that's what people hated about it was it it was that classic mid 80s technology is taking away from like the heart of the drummer and making it sound more like a MIDI file. A lot of people thought that your boy from ELO did that to Tom Petty. Yeah. What's his name? Um, Jeff Lynn. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people say Jeff Lynn ruined Tom Petty, which I think is crap. I think Tom Petty's singles were still amazing after he met <laughs> Jeff Lynn. Yeah, but no, yeah. that like that happened with um, Electric Light Orchestra too. Their last albums were like not very acoustic sounding at all. I am personally a huge fan of that like fucking around with technology era of the eighties when yeah. those kind when that kind of computer started creeping into the production line. You mean like the craft fuck? Well, I mean, well, Devo like had tons of synths before. They were known for having a lot of synths in their music, but this was the synths kind of fully taking over. 
But because it's mostly, for the most part, it's just this one guy, Mark Mothersbaugh, like learning a tool and having fun with it. Yeah. Like it pissed off the rest of the band. It pissed off the fans. But I really like it on that level of, uh, of having like kind of a sense of personal late nights, just like working with the machine. Sure. Could you say the name of the album again for the folks who are curious oh, sure. like me? Yeah. Shout by Devo. Thank you. Um, but uh, I, what I like about it is it, if you, if you approach it from the perspective of pretend it's not Devo who made, you know, whip it and all these like really fun kind of punky songs, pretend it's like a mid eighties goth, uh, kind of band or something that sure. has gotten a little bit weirder than sure. you might think. From that angle, it's actually a really cool album. What year did it come out? I think it was 84. A lot of bands in the mid-80s did not adjust well to synthesizers taking over. By oh. 1984, 85, you really had to incorporate it into your music to some degree. Yeah, yeah, big time. No, I mean, I, I wouldn't yeah. say it ruined like you know David Bowie or Queen completely. But well, it, Some people just graduated better into it. But like yeah. I mentioned a moment ago, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. You go back to songs like Dancing in the Dark and Born in the USA. That's super simple, conservative synth. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's it was probably corny sounding in 1984. Uh, it's aged well somehow. Yeah. <laughs> but no, those guys like they're not going to be fucking around with like samplers too much and making like Shaka Khan type music. Sure, sure, like, sure, sure. Um, but like, yeah, Devo kind of dipped their, t- their toe into that. And uh, I mean, Prince, certainly we, we just put out our episode about Bat Dance, which is kind of like that brought to its like logical conclusion. Yeah. Um, and at the time that kind of sound I think was just considered very gaudy and it da- and it aged really poorly in the nineties, I think. So a lot of people wrote off music like that, but um, it's, it's really my jam lately. I don't know. Yeah. For my media current, I will surprise talk about a movie. I saw Terminator dark fate. As I just mentioned, mm-hmm. I went and saw it on my own. <laughs> I just saw some surprisingly positive buzz about the movie from people I trust. And I figured this might only be in theaters for one weekend. I just think it's going to bomb. The goodwill for this franchise has gone out the damn window because they've made so many bad movies. And Terminator Genesis is like incomprehensible. It's so bad in terms of sheer screenplay and editing decisions. It doesn't, it, the villain in the film admits full tilt. This doesn't make any sense. It's incomprehensible. We've ruined time flow. Like he says that at one point, like it's probably not the way I'm imagining it, but (laughs) it's really bad. Yeah. And it's, it's not like days of future past logic. We go like, let, we can wipe a clean slate and take, you know, literally only keep the parts of the franchise you want. It's you're right. It's a mess. Days of future past goes to great lengths to explain what the hell is going on and illustrating visually what's happening. And there's an internal logic to that movie. Like there are a lot of people that will never be on board with that type of uh, time travel. Yeah, like uh, the theorem. Star Trek 2009 with with Spock traveling between universes. It's not really. It's not a tale as old as time. It's clearly <laughs> just the continuity juggling. You know. Yeah, but what I'm getting at is when we were younger, when we were teenagers, yeah. you would make fun of things like Back to the Future and stuff. You'd say like, "This is so." None of this makes sense. Like causality loops and things like that. Oh yeah. Like are really a, yeah. foolish. Like you seem to always like the first Terminator because it kind of hangs its hat on it in a way Yeah, where it's like, this is like the twilight zone element of this story is like, Oh, and by the way, this is where the loop begins. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Terminator dark fate things I liked about it. Uh, Mackenzie Davis kicks so much ass in this movie. She kind of pushed me over the edge to see it. Once I put two and two together that she was the lead from San Hipponero, my favorite episode of black mirror, uh, and I thought she looked cool in the ads. I, I just decided, you know what? I'm going to see it mm-hmm. after all the good buzz and like seeing her in the ads. Um, do you two know anything about this movie? 
I assume the public has heard like the big twist that happens in the first minute. No, I don't. I do not. But I, I I'm fine. With, I was gonna say the only thing I would. I don't know the twist. I'd love to hear the twist. I uh, actually the big... might see it. So don't <sighs> spoil it. Ah, dude. okay. Uh, this Linda Hamilton actually being in it is was the biggest talking point that I heard. Yeah, and she's good. and mm-hmm. and James Cameron coming back and Arnold, right? And Arnold. Well, yeah, but that's not even a twist. So I'll tell you this right now. Okay. The, the first thing that would make this movie better is no Arnold. And it's not because he's terrible in it. Like he's written in a humorous way that somehow works. It's very corny humor, but it just plays well. But I remember thinking in the theater after the first big throwdown, there's like a, there's like a 20 minute part of this movie early on. That's like a condensed Terminator film mm-hmm. where like the two Terminators meet. One's trying to kill someone. One's trying to save someone. There's a big chase scene involving large vehicles on a highway. And it's awesome. It's almost exclusively practical effects they come up with kind of a cool hook for the new bad Terminator. Cause that's what they always have to do. They have to figure out a way and make it even more complicated, but they, they kind of hit a wall with the T 1000. Like that's it. It can look like other people and turn into weapons. Like still, just walk still through the, the movie like butter, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Like Torrance point, it's still the scariest thing. You can just make knives out of his fingertips. It's terrifying. Like he just stabs you yeah. right through your eye. It's, it's but he still can't figure out pull, pulling a gun through bars. That was so funny. It's so funny, but it's also just like, yeah, it's brilliant. I, I know, Terminator no, I, is yeah, great. Like, don't think about it too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have fun with it. Yeah. yeah. So this movie, though, basically right after that 20 minute period, I distinctly thought to myself, man, I kind of wish it was just this because it was all the new actors like mm-hmm. Linda Hamilton and Arnold hadn't shown up yet. And I was just thinking I'm good with the new players here. It's very much Force Awakens with Terminator. OK, I do not like Force Awakens. <laughs> I just saw right through it. I thought it was too lazy. I'm sorry. Like it was no, that's fine. produced well, but just writing wise, I, I just, I'm sorry. I just, it's just episode four. I know everyone said this, but I thought it in the middle of that movie several times. Like, why are these new characters just clearly one-to-one analogs to other characters? Like h- how stupid do they think we are? Yeah. Apparently everyone's stupid. Pretty dumb. Because <laughs> <laughs> they keep making Star Wars movies and they keep making, I mean, eh, no, they're not making as much money as they used to. Let me ask you, Kevin, yeah, yeah. as a fellow Terminator fan, as we all enjoy the Terminator films, yeah. when Terminator Genesis came out in 2015. Terminator 5. Yes. There were <laughs> more bad Terminators than good ones. Yeah. Uh, are there still? Is this better or worse than Genesis? Oh yeah, this is this is good. This oh, is a good movie. Excellent. The coolest thing about it is just so I'm so desensitized to this. So many big movies, particularly franchise revivals these days, have this uh, loaded culture war to either the marketing or the fan reception, where you really have to like. I was just talking about Star Wars. There are so many people that whine about uh, Ray. Yeah. The, right, right. the female lead. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Being right. like, uh, like, uh, what's the word? Mary Sue. Mary Sue, right? Yep. I didn't know that was the term for it, but I remember seeing the movie and thinking like, yeah, like she just kind of gets abilities and powers whenever it's convenient for her to get out of a problem. But then I read online after I saw that movie that that's like all MRA groups were posting was like, right, yeah. like so I just didn't want to like, you know, I just don't care enough about this movie to really like contribute to this conversation. I'm not going to talk about star Wars. I'm just, I, I'm just kind of done. I kind of walked away from it. Right. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to be associated with, cause I didn't like the ghostbusters remake because I just thought it was a bad movie, Yeah. but I didn't want to get looped in as like, Oh, you like hate women. Like, which is what I'm sorry. A lot of people were saying, if you didn't like that movie, that was the narrative around either. I mean, well, I mean, I think in, yeah, in both movie. cases there were definitely organic, um, you know, more bad apples than good apples as far as the internet optics were. You had to question if it was a hill worth dying on to be like, no, no yeah. I really didn't like this Ghostbusters movie. Okay. Do you really need to like 
protract out an argument or can you just be like it's just a stupid movie yeah. i didn't like who cares hey maybe yeah. i don't like paul fegg's work yeah maybe yeah. i he put out a new movie yeah, too but i'm really glad you brought up ghostbusters yeah yeah well it, okay. I mean, i'm just bringing it up because like it's it, it's it's a good example like star wars and ghostbusters i didn't realize seeing terminator it was one of those movies culturally until like a week later i saw you know google saw me googling the Terminator uh, show times and assumed I wanted to hear news stories about it. Uh huh. So I started looking and all the headlines were like men rights activist groups complaining about this new Terminator film. And I didn't understand. I'm sitting there going like, what the fuck? I'm just so beyond it. And so not interested in like hearing a bunch of babies on the internet complain about this stuff that it didn't even compute to me <laughs> that people would complain that the new badass Terminator was a woman mm-hmm. and that the bad guy was a man and they talk in the movie about how there's this, this new character. That's the new John Connor because there's a new character that's going to matter in the future. Yeah. Right. And some people took it as like a, like a threat to their masculinity or something. Oh, of course. But for fuck's sake, there've been six Terminator movies and I have to think of a new thing. God forbid, like the simplest thing they can do is switch genders or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I understand that could be seen as lazy, but it's not in this movie. The new actors and the new characters were the best part. Like I organically, I just even Linda Hamilton, she's cool in the movie, mm-hmm. but the, the, her motivation and her attitude in the movie, it does kind of squander what they did in Terminator two with her. The whole point of Terminator two is her realizing she shouldn't be a killer. You know, uh, she sees what she's about to become when she's about to murder a father in front of his son. You yeah. know, And she's like, Oh, I, I'm, I have to be better than this, or I'm just becoming the thing I hate. And then this movie, she's just like, swearing every scene. She just hates people. She's just like the most boilerplate badass action hero. She's like everything uh, Sigourney Weaver didn't like about Ripley in aliens. Yeah. Right. But we all loved in aliens. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing is like when you think of Sarah Connor, every, the first thing you think every time is Linda Hamilton and those sunglasses and that black tank top with the knife. She's so badass in Terminator two. There's no, you can't help it. Right. But in this movie, it, it, you could make the argument, oh, this goes against everything she went through in two, but there's this thing they do in the beginning of Terminator Dark Fate that justifies it. Mm-hmm. And you got to do something new. If you're going to make a sixth movie, you got to think of something new or why make it? I guess I'll just say, check it out. If you like Terminator, um, it's easily the third best one. It's not in the same league as one or two. That's about all you can expect. Yeah. Easily. It's better than the RoboCop remake, which I kind of liked. I saw that and I remember so little about it. Yeah. It's very forgettable. Yeah. I just didn't see this movie being controversial. It's Terminator six. I haven't heard. Yeah. I haven't caught wind of the I, controversy. something interesting. And Kevin, if you could go into depth with this without spoiling the story, which is a contradiction, <laughs> it's tough. Not that long ago, I read a quote from James Cameron, uh, from an interview he'd been doing years ago in which, uh, as, as I'm going to read it, I'm citing my source here. James Cameron, never one to mince words, on why he made the T-1000 in Terminator 2 look like an LAPD officer. And the LAPD, back in the early 90s, had a lot of loaded, uh, problematic yeah. behavior, imagery. We're talking Rodney King, we're talking OJ, it's the LAPD. Do you think they could do it, it was... nowadays? Do you think like if they made the bad guy in a movie like an LAPD officer? Like a big budget movie, like a $200 million movie? I don't know. Because they kind of do that in this one. To quote, well, to quote James Cameron, quote, the Terminator films are not really about the human race getting killed off by future machines. They're about us losing touch with our own humanity and becoming machines, which allow us to kill and brutalize each other. Yeah. Cops think of all non-cops as less than they are. 
stupid, weak, and evil. They dehumanize the people they are sworn to protect and desensitize themselves in order to do that job. Yeah. End quote. Now that's James Cameron quoting. I did not just say cops think of all non-cops. That's James Cameron. Yeah. Man, that's a good quote. And I've read, without spoiling the story, that Terminator Dark Fate makes the United States Border Patrol the villain. Yes. Okay, interesting. It's cool. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's cool, not it's, it's not a cool, cool movie. but it's I mean, it's cool than it's, yeah. It's a cool it's cool that a Terminator movie with like 150 million the budget goes for that. And you think about All Terminator right. 2 in particular. That movie, James Cameron was coming off the abyss, right? Yeah. And where he was the villain. He needed a safety. He needed a safe bet and he kept putting off during T2 and it got to like this it was like T2 came out like 7 years after T1. That's a long time. He didn't play it safe. That movie's so ambitious and so expensive. And everyone, like a lot of people, that's like the story of his career is he spends a lot of money and people root for him to fail. Thank God. Butnick didn't trust the LAPD and he <laughs> went straight to John Connor I and love said, that. man, get out of here. Hey, a cop scoping for you. And then yep. his buddy walks up to the T 1000 and goes, Hey, I think I saw the kid you were looking for over here. That's, Pretty cool. It's pretty good. Pretty cool. You know what? The yeah, T one thousand should have been played by the guy who played Ugg, though. How great <laughs> would that be? The, uh, ladies and gentlemen at home, for those of you more tech savvy, if you could deep fake that, we'll uh, we will we'll be happy. <laughs> I, I does anybody you, out there even know what I'm talking about or who I Ugg do? All oh, they will. You oh, guys yeah. do. I know. If Zeke the plumber is a meme. I called him Buttnick. <laughs> you did call him Buttnick, but I don't think Salute Your Shorts is getting a reboot anytime soon. I'll put it that way. I really would love to hire Danny Cooksey to do something. I don't know. He's like one of those actors that's like yeah. in the back of my head. Like I'd love to like Re- have him replace one of us in an episode of new kids on the rock or something. No, like I, I know like one of my dream actors to work with is like Toby Huss. He's oh, just yeah, so yeah. good. And so uh, he's in that new, the new Halloween movie that came out like a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I remember being in the theater, like jumping on, Ooh, Toby Huss is in this movie. I hope he doesn't die in the oh, first I didn't five know he minutes. Was in it. Cool. Yeah. He plays like, just like kind of like the loser dad. No one likes, and he's in most of the movie, but mm-hmm. it just made me happy. He doesn't get to really, Spread his wings, so to speak. But that's that was my media current. I watched Terminator Dark Fate, and it's okay. It has some cool <laughs> ideas. And uh, Mackenzie Davis, man, she should be in more action movies because she's really cool in Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, I'm sure she will be. But then again, it bombed. <laughs> it lost like a hundred million dollars. Oh boy! So she probably won't be, which sucks. Even if it were a big success, because like Sigourney Weaver didn't end up in a lot of other action movies for for doing aliens she did four alien movies two ghostbuster movies i don't think sigourney weaver wanted to be an action star yeah that's uh, that's possible yeah. i just always found it surprising that like she went from aliens to just like ghostbusters 2 playing a mom you know it's like uh i don't know i, I wish she had more fun stuff in her resume i mean there is fun stuff yeah she was in like so, wally you know what I mean? yeah I've seen her in documentaries in recent years. She does like voiceover work for so fun. Oh, yeah. Heaven. <laughs> I think you know fun. what I'm saying? Like I want more like aliens. You, you just know? want more Sigourney Weaver period. Yeah. You see the most successful film of all time. Avatar. Avatar. Isn't she just like a, a suit in that? Oh no. Oh wait, no, she has an alien body. Yeah. Watch out. She smokes cigarettes. Yeah. You know what? I've been meaning to rewatch that movie for the last 10 years. So I'm sure I will at some point. And, and you know what? When she shows up, spoiler, ladies and gentlemen, when she shows up at the end of cabin in the woods, yep. uh, Everyone, there's no one's going like, uh, what? They're like, hey, that's cool. That's the person you get. It's really cool. They got her for a day. <laughs> totally. <laughs> they do the same thing in, um, what is it? Uh, Be Kind, Rewind? She's, yeah, uh, she's good in that too. Oh, yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. Galaxy Quest, she's great in Galaxy Quest. Oh, you know what? Galaxy <laughs> Quest. There's a, yeah, I like her in Galaxy We Quest. love her. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
uh, she was in Holes. <laughs> oh yeah, she's pretty cool in Holes. She's she's a villain. Yeah, yeah. So was, okay, Donovan. so there is. Oh, some, she's yeah. in Dave, which is like Dave movie I really like. Dave is a it's a it, Dave is a fine boring movie. movie. Yeah, a, a boring not as a diss. It's just like a yeah, let's just watch Dave. Kevin Klein. Yeah, uh, Frank Langella. It's a comedy movie from the mid nineties. Sure, super funny. But did you know the story of Dave Ryan? No. It's about a guy that looks a lot like the president. Oh, all the right, president needs like some invasive, like heart surgery, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to swap them. And so Gurney Weaver is the first lady. They're on rocky terms, like their relationship, like the president and the first lady. Yeah. Is it Kevin Klein? Yeah. yeah. From wild, wild west. Yeah. <laughs> the very <Kevin>. same. <laughs> Phoebe Cates, his husband. <laughs> I do remember this. Yeah. Film. Thank you very you know much. What? It's kind of, it's the prince and the pauper. If the prince were near death. <laughs> it's pretty good. Cause it's that movie good. has the president like in a, Kind of in a, like, not in Area 51, but like in a in a bunker in the White House. He looks like Zordon in the Power Rangers yeah. <laughs> movie when they break his aquarium. Really? Yeah. I don't remember that part. Yeah. They're just keeping him alive. I don't think he comes back. Look at this Gourney Weaver's career. A more She's gen- been in yeah. a lot of good movies. She's been in a lot of good girl. movies. Working but girl? I'm talking genre movies. Okay. Yeah. Why wasn't she in more? That's my, that's I my think only. She, well, she famously didn't like what she did in Aliens. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. She got paid a lot of money to come back and Cameron had to fight to keep her in that movie. Cause they thought she was too expensive. Mm-hmm. There's tons of interviews. They're on the DVDs where she says, I don't like that. I use a gun at the end of that movie. Hmm. And she talks at length about why she thought she thought Cameron did it very well. She basically regretted doing it. It's like Jim Carrey talking about kick ass too. It wasn't until he saw the first cut. He was like, okay. Oh man. You know what? That's fine. Yeah. She has like political reasons for like, feeling weird about doing action movies. That makes sense. Jamie Lee Curtis said the same thing about doing the new Halloween movie after doing it. She was like, not, she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm playing a character that's like all about guns and I'm, I'm kind of not down with that. And then when you watch the movie, the scenes where she's like really all about guns and doing target practice easily could have been cut from the movie. Huh. It's just gun porn for the trailers. That's unfortunate. <laughs> it's really stupid. <laughs> all right. We're going to take a break and come back with a bunch of questions from our patrons. Yeah. So it'll be real great. Oh yeah, that's our song. It'll be real great. Breaking news. They fixed Sonic the Hedgehog. They did. They they listened to our podcast and they fixed the movie for us. Man, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, we all watched the trailer. They updated the CGI a couple days ago. It looks Everyone's better. seen it. Yeah. It looks better. Hats off to the VFX people who How long has it been? Like 4 months? I don't think it was that long. But I, again, I am so out of touch with the effects industry. I don't know how long this stuff takes anymore. Regardless of how much time it took to do, yeah, the design is way better. Yeah, not just because it looks more like cartoon Sonic. It just—I think you get away with wishy-washy visual effects when your character doesn't look as tangible. Mm-hmm. If you're just going for that, and Sonic just looks more like a cartoon character now. Yeah, and that's probably cheaper to pull off than that earlier design that was like—I don't know what they were going for. <laughs> <laughs> they like, were going, I guess they were going for, well, if Sonic, if you created Sonic in a lab in real life, this is what he'd look like. Yeah. If you had to gene splice him like in yeah. Gremlins 2 or something. So the first Sonic the Hedgehog trailer came out April 30th. Okay. So that's six months and change ago. So it took them six months to do what they did with the Sonic trailer. And did the movie's release date. It's now pushed? February 20th. They okay. moved it back two, three months. Because of the internet. Um. Yeah. I mean, honest to God, like they, just whoever made those creative decisions. Yeah. It just looked bad. I'm so like, I didn't, when it originally came out and we, we, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about Sonic on this show. Mm-hmm. I thought it looked like a mediocre movie with a pretty poor design for Sonic. Yeah. When you look at the new design <laughs> compared to the old one, 
Yeah. It's shockingly better. It's like, oh, that's right. This is why they keep doing the Felix the Cat blue mouse thing. It looks good. Like, it's a good design. And I love, like, for anyone who's less familiar with that much older intellectual property. Yeah, Sonic and Tails and Knuckles and most of the core characters are totally of the Felix the Cat aesthetic, which I really like. It just looks better. By way of 90s. Yeah. By way of 90s. He almost has, like, the one eye thing, but he has just a little bit of a bridge nose Mm -hmm. thing to interrupt it. But I think, yeah, like, just... But did we all feel weird when they announced that, like, oh, we're going to fix the movie. We're going to redo it. It felt like as if, like, oh, if you sense some food back at a restaurant and then the restaurant closed and you're like, no, 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 that's, it's fine. It was just one bad meal. Like, no, I'm glad they fixed it. I am too. But at the time I was like, oh, really? You felt exhausted just learning that news? I understand the shame of, oh, are we giving the baby its bottle here? Do we complain too much on the internet about things that don't really matter? Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. But. I agree here. If Sonic sp- matters, goddammit. No, but if you're going to spend $90 million and make all these visual effects artists and animators and like people on set, like doing all this work just to make Sonic the Hedgehog like the movie so you can make money off of it, listen, like I can't imagine someone, a creative person. I can't think of a creative person I've met who would have, who would have liked that design. Remember how long his legs were? When he'd be standing there, Sonic the Hedgehog, looking at his watch and his legs are like three feet long and his like yeah. torso is like eight inches tall. It looked bizarre, but now looking at the fix, the new Sonic, I can't imagine someone of sound mind. It had to have been a money decision. Like we got to appeal to teenagers. We got to, we got to make this movie sexy. You got to want to fuck Sonic. Like that, that has to be what steered that design. So I'm kind of okay yeah. with whatever suit made that decision getting just slapped in the face for a month with social media, this like outpour of like, this looks ugly. Why doesn't he look like Sonic? Like, I'm sure this guy blamed the animators. I think there's been too much talk on the internet. I've seen a lot of people tipping their hat the last week since the new trailer hit mm-hmm. towards specifically the people who did the work. Yeah. Like I've seen a lot of like good, good work animators like, Oh my, like are people, the conversation we're having now about, Oh, are we like giving into fanboy drivel on the internet? That conversation was happening back in like May. Yeah. Yeah. Like, are we giving in? Oh no, the poor people who have to make this movie, how are they going to pull it off? You know? Yeah. Like I think the public has been very considerate of this and I'm sure there've been VFX people working really hard. Yeah. But someone had to make that decision. It had to come from down on high an executive or some producer group, a, a committee. Yeah. And that committee got firmly told no by the public. So my hope is that that's the case that those people now have this mark of shame, (laughs) you know, like, and it's not like affects people like the animators. They're just given like shot lists and a character model, like a spec sheet. Like here's like an isometric view of the character. Here's the model animate with this go. Mm -hmm. I'm sure someone got fired. Yes. (laughs) You know, yeah. No, I just just hope it was the right person. The cynical part of me thinks that like whatever suits or boardroom, wanted it to look like that in the first place or didn't know what they wanted and ended up with that in the first place. Yeah. When it backfired, they probably did not blame themselves. That's just my guess. Yeah. I saw a post, I think summarizes a lot of what we're talking about of a picture of terrible looking Sonic and strange looking blue, uh, Will Smith is a genie and one of the cats from Android Webber's cats. And it said, all jokes aside, VFX artists, seriously, Jokes, what's happening? And a guy responded, again, I would love to cite my source, but Mm -hmm. feel free to comment. I know exactly what you're talking Mm -hmm. about, though. And he said, okay, uh, here's the thing. I can't tell you what company I work for because I'll be fired, but I'm a video effects artist. The client is always right. 
We work ridiculously long hours, knowing that if we say no, if some cigar chomping idiot is there going, ah, make them more blue and like more blue. Uh, fine. If the client is always right, you have to do what the client says, or there's another studio down here and another studio. There's no VFX union. There's, there's no that VFX yeah. union. It's like video game designers. Like you just, you get told like, here's the project, your contractor, go do it now. So you got guys working 20 hour days, not showering, you know, sleeping on the couch, going shifts. And they're like, by the way, yeah, make Sonic more fuckable. Like, you know, like this is no. And if you say no to the client, they're like, then well, there's a thousand companies down the door and we'll see another one. And yeah, we'll find a college kid who will do it for less money and yep. quicker. Someone they desperate. Sleep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we might sound crazy saying make Sonic more fuckable. You know what I'm getting at, right? I, we're not saying they succeeded. No, they didn't yeah. succeed, <laughs> but they thought like we need to make it so Sonic has appeal beyond children. And you, maybe you just have to accept what Sonic is and be like, okay, we're going to make money from kids because Sonic works on kids, as mm -hmm. we've talked about on this show. And you're going to make money off people who, you know, remember the 90s. And they liked Sonic. And that's why Jim Carrey's in the movie. And that's why you play that Coolio song in that first trailer. Like, okay, you're going to get them. You don't need everyone else. You don't need to make a billion dollars on the Sonic movie. Sonic will not make a billion dollars. It's not Star Wars. It's not Spider-Man. You know, they just stretched the concept too damn thin. And that's what happened. The new trailer beyond the redesign. Yeah. I think it gives you a much better idea of what the hell that movie is. Right? Sure. It's trash, but I'll probably see it. You know, I'm thinking about a recent success in this department because we could talk about these weird CGI characters. We could talk about... Alita Battle Angel and all the stupid crap that you just go, Ugh. the uncanny valley for ad nauseum. We could talk about it forever. And for those of you less familiar, it's that line between things that look creepy right before they look so real, they seem real. Yeah. And so th th this new Sonic design is like firmly in the, I'm just a cartoon. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yep. That Robert Zemeckis, uh, when he makes everyone Jim Carrey or everyone Tom Hanks, and you're like, <laughs> Ugh, I just, Ugh. Yeah. a success in this department. Detective Pikachu. Yeah. Just make the Pokemon look like Pokemon. I think that they took a page right out of that book. Like, yeah. I think they're just like, good. oh yeah, why don't we just make Sonic look cute? Make Sonic <laughs> look like, hey. Someone a, put in a lot of work making this character cute. Just use that work. People made, a, there are a bunch of different character designs in the Pokemon movie, in Detective Pikachu. A lot of them have changed a little. A lot of them, you know, making them from an 8-bit game to the quote unquote real world. And every single design I saw, I went, yeah, great. Do that. Yeah, good work, guys. There are some like comic books and like cartoony characters that when you adapt to live action, I can understand like, okay, well, we can change some things in the translation because this is supposed to look like it's really happening. You can't do that with Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm sorry. Like he, there's not enough going on. Like Sonic's look is like the cardinal thing. Yeah. Right. Kind like, of a shout. I mean, I know there's a lot of Sonic lore now. There were two cartoons, the video games got plots at some point. Yeah. But when you when you're boiling it down to its essence the way you would for making the first movie that is just a kind of a shallow nostalgia cash in, they're throwing all of that out. Don't overthink it. Yeah, so just just like go with the shallow. He's just a sprite. He just looks cool and he has yeah. a voice like this and he runs fast. Like I can see someone going, uh, maybe it's too hard to make the Wolverine costume work." <laughs> <laughs> like, I kind of get that. I kind of forgive that. Someday, I'm sure they're going to do Wolverine in the yellow spandex. I'm sure yeah. Disney's working on that right now because they, the Avengers are done, right? They, and the X-Men's probably the next safe bet. Yeah. But something like the Yogi Bear movie, like they didn't really, I'm not going to talk about the Yogi Bear movie. <laughs> but, I don't know. No, but that's to Pikachu, to Ryan's point. Like, just make it look like Pikachu. Don't overthink it. If the mm -hmm. market loves this thing so much, just do the thing.
Yeah. You know? But again, this conversation was had months ago. Yeah. The new conversation is it looks okay now. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to see it. Okay. What about you, Ryan? Are you going to see it? Sure. I'm not. <laughs> I finally played Sonic Adventure for the first time. Which What'd is, you think? Uh, it's terrible. Uh-huh. Um, I played it on my PlayStation 4. It was a Sega Dreamcast launch game. It was like a 3D Sonic game. It was kind of Sega's answer to Mario 64, uh-huh. which is a uh, big check to write, hard to catch. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, 3D platforming video games are, are some of my favorites. It's probably my favorite genre. Um, you know, I love Mario 64, Jack and Daxter, uh, Ratchet and Clank, Spyro the Dragon. I played through the first Spyro the Dragon uh, recently, and it's still great. But man, um, Sonic Adventure is just like the beginning of the end for that character's relevancy. They struggled for a long time to make a 3D Sonic. We've talked about this before, but they finally had the Dreamcast hardware, which was powerful enough to do like big open 3D spaces and Sonic running around. He just controls like a sponge. <laughs> like, I'll show you some stuff after the show. It's really weird. Can't wait. Moving on from Sonic the Hedgehog, who has been the subject of three episodes of Guaranteed Audio, I wanted to talk about Billy Joel. We do this music video review show over on YouTube called The Vidnight Society, and our latest episode, which hit this week, I'm assuming we get this podcast up in the near future, was about We Didn't Start the Fire, uh, in which Neil and Ryan talk about that video and its merits or lack thereof. Ryan, you were really down on it. Uh, I'm highly critical of the body of work (laughs) comprised by singer-songwriter Billy Joel. I think he just is what he, I, I honestly think he's the Sonic the Hedgehog of music. That is not a compliment. I really, I'm going to use that. <laughs> and Billy Joel, the Sonic the Hedgehog of music. <laughs> so I want to play, I want to do a, uh, a little, I wouldn't even call it a quiz. You Kevin, just, you just whip this up for this podcast. I want to do a little bit of a Billy Joel lightning round. All right. All right. Another sequence in this episode with electricity slash lightning. <laughs> Please use the same sound effect. At least the same one. Who's, uh, who's youngest, Ryan or Neil? Uh, we're both August 86. I'm 23. You're... You're the... Tw- yeah, August 23rd. I'm August 15th. Yes, yeah, so you're older. I'm the younger one. Okay, Neil's younger. So Neil's going to go first. I'm going to have you each name Billy Joel's songs. Till we run out? Yeah. Neither... You both kind of don't care about Billy Joel, but this shouldn't be that hard. No, well, all right, let's do it. Okay, Neil, we're going to start with you. Name a Billy Joel song. The Longest Time. The Longest Time. Ryan, name a Billy Joel song. In the Middle of the Night. Oh. Okay. Or is it River of Dreams? Who cares? I know the same song. Yeah. When I was like, uh, when I was like six, that was my favorite song on the radio. Quit buying time, Neil Cicerigo. What's your song? Uh, uh, Pressure. Okay, Ryan. We didn't start the fire. Damn it, Neil. <laughs> uh, uh, still rock and roll to me, Ryan. Uh, small New York, little New York City restaurant. Uh, I'll give it to you. Italian restaurant. Okay. Uh, Anthony's song. Moving out. Okay. Oh. Did he make something about how 9-11 was about him? Because <laughs> I know he said that. Uh, why should I worry? Uh, Oliver and Company. I think, it's called, I think it's called Why Should I Worry. That counts, sure. Oh, counts. Uh, pia- Piano here. Man. I got Piano Man God, here. Piano Man. <laughs> That's the song about a man who's a piano. Wow. I wonder where he got that idea. Ryan, can you name another Billy Jules? <laughs> when I'm out on the street. By a better musician. Bruce Springsteen. It's Bruce. It's not. They're both in New Jersey. They both. There's quite a few big songs. Like, do you want me to give you a hint? Yes. Okay. Billy Joel wants to date a girl. She's from a certain part of town. Uptown girl. Okay. Uh, You might need to give me a hint too. Okay. I'll give you a hint. If you have something you want to tell a woman, you should. Just fucking tell her. (laughs) You don't know this one? You might not know this one. Uh, I might. It might be one that I know, but I don't know the title. Tell. 
about it. It's still Neil's. Well, no, that's it. That's, it. Get that's I know. literally I'm just, the title of the song. Uh, okay. So, tell her about it. All right. I'm just going to give that one to Ryan. Okay. But you got to think of two now. Uh, do oh. I? Oh, no. I don't think I can. Okay. We were watching a music video for this one earlier. Wait, there's only seven Billy Joel songs. No, I, I, know, I know a few I, of these. Yeah, there's got to be something that I'm... Uh, okay. This one is something you have to say to a town. You have to, you have to say it to a town? The title is... Hello, town. Say blank to blank. Say hello to New York. I think you're out. I'm out. Say goodbye to Hollywood. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know, know what that's that. All right, I'm going to throw Benny and the Jets. <laughs> Ryan, do you want to do one more? Do you got one more in you? Do you know anymore? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. These are all singles. There's like two or three more like, oh, yeah, shit. The big ones. Yeah. Did we, did we said Piano Man, right? We yeah, have yeah, to yeah I got Piano Man. Have to have. Who dies before their time? Only the good die. Oh, Wait, <laughs> I thought that was a cover. That's a, a Billy Joel song. Oh, good for him. I think Ryan won. I'm yeah. I think you did, but I don't. I think we both did about. It. I want you to know, Neil. I don't feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was also she's always a woman. New York State of Mind. Oh, yeah. Honesty. It's still rock and roll to me. I got that one. Oh yeah. Yeah, you got. You that may one. be right. Uh, uh, a matter wait. of trust. The Down Easter Alexa. Just the way you are. Lullaby. Hang on. Just the way you are. He didn't. He he. he that's to be a cover, right? I don't know. Um, Wait, and, you might be right. Is him? Yeah. Oh, man, Tell I her about it. Big shot. She's got away. Don't ask me why. Allentown. Angry young man. Summer Highland Falls. Do you find it interesting that my number that once I hear a good song, my default answer is he didn't write that. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Jack. Easy money. All about soul. I like this one. I go to extremes. I enjoy that song. I know that title. Yeah. But okay. Ryan won that one. That little quickie. Billy Joel Thank Trivier. you. That was fun. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That was an easy one. Yeah. <laughs> We take questions every episode of Guaranteed Audio. We pull them from our patrons over at guaranteedvideo.com exclusively. That's the only place we take questions for a show. You have to pay to play. Yeah. <laughs> pay to play. Traditionally, we only do maybe three questions, but this episode, because we don't, we don't have like a centralized theme for the episode, we're just doing kind of like a, like a low stakes Guaranteed Audio episode. I'm going to pull a few more questions than we normally do. So I'm going to pull a question from here at guaranteedvideo.com from Samuel Day Gedice. I'm probably pronouncing your name wrong. A thousand apologies. What are your favorite films that aren't in the English language? Can you name a movie that you like that's not in English? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, my money's on Persepolis. Ah, it's 2007, about the many political and social upheavals in the nation of Iran. That movie's great. Yeah, based on a great graphic novel, animated very well. I wonder, I can't remember if I saw maybe a dubbed version. For some reason, I don't remember it. Subs, not dubs, man. But yeah, I watched it with subtitles and it's, it's, I like it. The state of the nation of Iran is, is tragic. It reads like this, it reads like a dystopian novel. Um, because there was a time it was like a very developed progressive nation and then it went straight up handmaid's tale and it's still in kind of a terrible place. But the the twist of that movie, if I remember it correctly, is she comes to America and her life still sucks over here. Yeah. (laughs) I, 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 like a Herzog movie. Yeah. Her deep seated. I think that like living in basically a police state is going to set some deep seated anxiety and trauma yeah. that even like be coupled with, it's not like her family got out. And even if they did, it's not, you're right. It's, it, it scarred her in a way that like might never get better. I need to come back to that movie. What about, that, yeah. what about you, Neil? You got one? Uh, what comes to mind is, I guess, well, there is the Japanese movie house, the yeah. horror movie. That's uh super fun. A lot of cool lighting in that movie. Sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, a movie with, with no dialogue is a uh, Koyana Scotsi that also pops to mind. Ah, yeah. cool. I'll recommend a uh, short French film I love called Remember Me. Mm-hmm. Not the actual title. That's just the English translation. So uh, fifteen in minutes. A French accent. 
I took a semester of French, so I should know this, but uh, memorable moi, like uh, bonjour, it's not, it's not <laughs> bonjour, so, but it's a 15 minute short film. I saw a couple of years ago. It came out in 2013. Uh, you can find it on Vimeo. Is this the one that's a musical? No. Oh, what am I thinking of then? This one is about a man who, you know, it's only 15 minutes. You should watch it. Okay. It's um, a little spooky. It's a little sci-fi. Ryan, we'll watch it after. I think you'd really like it. Cool. But yeah, Remember Me came out in 2013, directed by Jean-Francois Asselin and uh, Amy Lim. Check it out. Really cool movie. Don't want to say much more about it, but it's basically about... Uh, how some people really need attention. They really need attention. This guy's got a condition and he needs attention. Summer Geist asks, which Sex in the City characters are you? Ryan, you're the most familiar with Sex in the City. <laughs> so let's make it a one and done. What character is Neil? Well, how about this? How about I pr- I explain the four main characters briefly? So, you know, so you, <laughs> I was going to say mean, briefly. Yeah. All right. Carrie Bradshaw is a writer. She writes the column Sex in the City, an online publication. She's a single girl trying to have it all in Manhattan. Her, be- her best friends, Miranda, is a redhead who's also a lawyer who's too tough for a real relationship until she's not. And she doesn't want to be a mother until she is. Samantha and- is played by Mannequin Kim Cattrall. Oh. Correct. Yeah, Samantha Mannequin is the herself. most fun. She's the oldest of them, but lies about that, obviously. She is the most, I hate, yeah, we're not going to use the term slut-shaming. She is proud of her sexuality. <laughs> she is the most uh, promiscuous of all of them. Yeah. And the fourth is Charlotte. Charlotte is almost like Trudy from Mad Men. She wants to live in a Norman Rockwell universe. She has a lot of difficulty getting pregnant. It's a tragic uh, story. In the end, it all works out for her. So we've got the high-powered, no-nonsense lawyer. The promiscuous New York party girl, the product of basically like Desperate Housewives, i.e. Mad Men, and we've got the fourth writing about it all, her good friends having sex in the city. I sound like Miranda. You'd like Miranda. I mean, you you like them all. Yeah. Neil is who? I don't know. I thought you were going to pick for us. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) They're all imbalanced and neurotic in a way. Um, if you got to be one, like you get to like, you know, Jeff Goldblum fly machine into one of them and just to have fun, but you get to like turn back to a the human worst idea I mean, you've ever had They're human. <laughs> you get to turn back to yourself after the full moon. Those are two different things. Uh, if you could transform into one just to have fun and try it out, Samantha. Oh yeah. Samantha's the best. All right, we're all Samantha then. I assume it's, no, it's a being John Malkovich kind of thing where we can all take turns crawling through the door and being Samantha. This is totally not the question. (laughs) I think it is. The question is, which one of these characters are you? It's like a quiz in the back of like Teen Vogue. I'll be honest, I forget what their names are already. (laughs) All right, next question. Good Uh, question though, thank you. I like that question. Trey Baldwin asks, why does nobody talk about adventures in Dinosaur City? It's a terrible movie, but I guess I answered my own question. I love you guys. Trey... I remember watching that movie as a kid. We rented it. Uh, my parents, my sister and I were on a summer vacation and it was raining hard out. So my dad went to the local video store and rented a few movies and he instinctively rented Adventures in Dinosaur City and I fell asleep watching it as a kid. Yep. It's a weird movie. Have you guys seen Adventures in Dinosaur Yes, I have. It's been on my list of stuff to watch basically with you guys for a long time until I want to say maybe it was... Um, uh, everything is terrible or something. Did a, did a little, they did a little like compilation of clips from it. And the, the revelation was, Oh, this movie has a lot of like completely needless sexism. There's just a lot of, of male gaze towards this yeah. young woman in it. I remember it as a kid. It made me uncomfortable for considering their target demographic was like under 10. Yeah. There is a whole lot of like, <laughs> Hey, let's get her in like a K it's, it's almost funny. It evo- when it comes to like 
overly sexual, faux prehistoric imagery. I think of Haley Joe Osmond. Nope. <laughs> Halle Berry. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Halle, Halle Berry in the Flintstones movie. And you're like, this is borderline, like, not okay to show. But you know what? I appreciated it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, heard, I didn't appreciate Adventures in Dinosaur City as a kid. No. I was like, she's too young. She's like, it's yeah, not so the that's, same as Halle Berry. I mean, like, we love trash, but, you know, we can be picky with our trash. Yeah. There's enough. Um, there's actually a great episode of the VHS Bandits podcast where mm-hmm. they do a deep dive into that movie. If you want to hear three guys from Northern Massachusetts talk with Worcester accents about <laughs> oh man, adventures from dinosaur city. Oh man. <laughs> it's a good podcast. Yeah. Adventures in dinosaur city looks a lot more like Jim Henson dinosaurs where there are live action dinosaurs in an alternate universe where it's sort of a noir. If I remember correctly, it's pretty low rent though, right? It's not yeah. a, it's not, it's it does not have any big company behind it as far no. as, Next question. Good uh, question again. David asks, if you could go back in time and see any three musical performances live, who would you see? Mm. I think we should all just pick one for the sake of brevity. Oh, um, yeah. This might not be going back that far. I really wish I got to see Amy Winehouse live. Um, uh, I was yeah. a big fan. Uh, it really hurt uh, to read that she passed away. I could make a, I could just start reading off a bunch of dead musicians if that helps. They don't have to be dead, though. I mean, they could just, just be musicians. <laughs> who is better? <laughs> um, Eddie Money. <laughs> Mm. We're talking a lot about Eddie Money. He passed away. Jim Morrison. I mean, uh, Tom Petty. We, none of us got to see Tom Petty. I never got to see Prince. That's true. I saw Prince. Uh, Kirk Cobain, obviously. Never saw Bowie live. Yeah. Uh, he said musical performance, right? Yes. But if I could go back in time to any performance, it would probably be the Ford's Theater to warn President Honest <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. I feel like the world would be a much better place if he'd survived throughout Reconstruction. What about like Freddie Mercury? <laughs> Oh, that's great, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you could have saved him, though. But he wasn't in charge of, like, disturb, you know, uh, the, the I was about to say that the course of global history would not be altered nearly as much by Freddie Mercury. But you know what? I can't say that. I don't know. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. All right. So are we specifically going back in time to warn musicians who died? You guys are later? bad at hearing these. <laughs> I know. If you could go back in time and see any three musical performances live, which would you see from David? David. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. Let's... David Bowie, the reality tour, Prince at the Super Bowl halftime show. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, That's a really good way to look at it. Brian Wilson, back when Pet Sounds was new. Yeah. Which I don't believe he actually performed live when they were touring at that time, which is a shame. Or just to be in the studio. Yeah. I would have to find, like, when Amy Winehouse was at her prime, because towards the end, there were some really rough shows. It probably would have yeah. been a big yeah. bummer. I'm trying to think of a band, like, that maybe it just would have been cool to see them, like, in their infancy, maybe? Someone like, I don't know. Um, oh, I'm sure the most difficult hipsters in the history of the earth. Like, yeah, I saw Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground before they were popular. Like, well, I actually oh, saw a band a couple Halloweens ago, probably 10 years ago, do a very specific Bowie cover act where they came out dressed up as Bowie and the whole band, but cool. they were specifically covering a bootleg of a show they had. Huh. And they listened to it for like a month. So they could all get like very distinct mannerisms down, like things Bowie would say between songs, like as they like tuned up and things like that. That's cool. It's a cool, like little bit of time travel. Nice. Yeah. Actually, you know, I, it's this is really easy answer for me, but I'd, I'd go to the, one of those stop making sense shows. That'd be great. Mm. Yeah. If I had to pick a specific show, heads. there's a legendary Bruce Springsteen performance in 1978. It's like the most widespread Bruce Springsteen bootleg ever. It's the Winterland show. Mm-hmm. It was broadcast over the, uh, the, the radio back then. I've had a bootleg of that for years. 
And it's one of my favorite things to listen to every December if I'm driving around and the snow is out because there's some wonderful moments in the performance where Bruce starts talking in between songs like, okay, this next song is about, uh, but this is for everybody back home on sixth Avenue and Asbury park. You couldn't have ever been there. <laughs> Who I'm sure will hear this someday through the magic of bootlegging. All right. <laughs> like he's like proud knowing that everyone's going to steal all these songs. They're just going to record it off the radio. Really good show. Bruce Springsteen, 78 Winterland. Next question is from Jay Spears. Do you have any advice for a beginning filmmaker? You guys have inspired me to get into filmmaking, but I'm not sure where I should start. Do you have any tips, rookie mistakes to avoid, equipment recommendations, etc.? Beginner advice for a filmmaker. My first bit of advice is be concise. Don't overscope. If you're writing out your script, and you should almost always have a script, keep it short. Less is more. You'll do better. You can like put more effort into a few inches of a movie versus miles of a movie. Mm-hmm. Try to do five minutes tops for your first few projects and do your best to get good audio. You can shoot on the worst camera in the world. Yep. Just yeah. shoot on your damn phone, but figure out a way to get good sound. Cause when, I, outdoor, when it comes to the outdoors, natural light is your friend. You don't realize how powerful and useful it is, but yes, there's no shame in ADR. There's no shame in redoing the sound on everything. We've done that on many projects over the years where we just line by line re-record. Most of the time people don't notice or it works in the favor of the like computer reality we're creating. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have the opposite advice from you, Kevin. Um, Waste your time. Make a really <laughs> big movie. <laughs> At least once early on while you're, while, while you can get away with it being kind of slapdash and just like make something over the summer. We did that back in 2007. We all had like we half a bunch hour. Of these movies. Yeah. Like half hour productions. And like, yeah, maybe they're not the most rewatchable thing in retrospect, but at the time making them and like piecing these at the time we're glad just, to have them. Yeah they, oh, they, yeah. they just like felt very epic. And we were, I was just like having dreams about the final products and stuff. Oh yeah. I it, like, it is enjoyable to bite off more than we you are. Chew. We have the freak advantage of having known every one of us. You know, we had like you who like knew how to score, for example. Yeah. Right. Like we had these advantages. A lot of the people didn't have. And it's very rare, I think, to be like, oh, no, I'm just going to have eight people dedicate their day-to-day to being a movie. If you have that access- And it gets harder as you get older. It gets much harder. I, I think the, my big reason for pushing for shorter stuff is that no matter how long or short a project is, feature film, 20 minutes, five minutes, 60 seconds, 10 seconds, Yeah, you always have a certain catharsis that you take away from the movie. And personally, I think I learn- I don't think the volume of lessons I learned from a project are correlated to how long that project was. I've, I've felt that. Yeah. I think as long as the movie is shot or produced properly, I'm going to have the same amount of lessons learned on a seven minute project as I did 70. You learn when you're finished and you step back and you look at things you might've rushed or things you wish you put more attention into or uh, more economical ways to get the thing done. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's a better, um, kind of a style of lesson because yeah, you have the finished product a lot more quickly and there's less to think about. You need to divorce yourself from the thing you're making. You need to show it to people and not be able to like explain it to them when they're watching it. You need to, if you're putting out on the internet or submitting it to festivals or just showing it to friends. When we first started making movies, we showed things literally on the camera. Brian and I would bring yep. cameras around and plug them into TVs and play the movies off the DV tape. Yeah. Yes. Through the yellow white, you would edit like, you're like, Hey, these are today's dailies, which is by the way, kind of the scene because we shot in sequence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I got to say the word for the kids out there today, it's like, you know, inches away from the year 2020, 
the world is a radically different place and you're operating with different tools and a different and you're distributing in a different environment. It's hard to get somebody to sit down and watch 10 minutes on their phone, on their laptop, on their tablet, doesn't matter. Uh, people are going to scroll through, uh, you know, oh, that minutes, that video is four and a half minutes long. Click. I'll get back to that, that later. To us all the time. And later becomes yeah. never. Yeah. Uh, it's, but the world is just simply very different than like, you know, literally decades ago. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you have to adapt to that. Uh, when we were first recording things on mini DV tapes on camcorders, aiming for 1080p was just something that you cost like thousands. And now it's on every smartphone. We, we started working on projects before the world of smartphones. People do not walk around with an HD camera everywhere they go. I have a Moto G5 Plus. It's like a $200 smartphone. It shoots 4K video. <laughs> and it's okay 4K video. It's not great. It's not iPhone or like, you know, um, Pixel 4 like quality. Yeah. I, if you only have so much money to invest in equipment right now, and you're like thinking, oh, I need to get a camera, I would look at the A6000 or any of the... $500 Sony mirrorless cameras. Yeah, those are some great first cameras. They really yeah. are some great first cameras, but the thing I would I would steer you more towards audio gear. Right. Audio is more important. It's just it just is as the older I get the more I realize the, the information if you have dialogue in your film, mm-hmm. all the exposition, all the comedy is based on audio. You know, go out and get like a cheap zoom recorder. What's what's the that that pocket zoom you have, Neil? Yeah, it has a line in and stuff. Um, yeah, um, maybe a boom mic. What's the, uh, what's the road zoom H one ultra portable. Yes. The zoom H one. It's like a really dinky recorder, right? It's like a hundred bucks brand new. You could probably get it used for like 50 maybe. Yeah. But the cool thing about that is you can run a little lavalier microphone into it, run it up a person's shirt, put it on their collar. And it's not even, it's not wireless. You're not running it into the camera, but you leave that recorder in your back pocket. Right. Mm -hmm. It just takes a lot of variables out of the equation. You just get really clean dialogue, which is so hard to come by focus on audio. And I, I say, make it short because you want to start getting projects done and in front of people because you're going to get a certain anxiety, a certain dopamine hit from the movie being done. That'll inform your next project and things you can improve. And if Definitely. You, you spend like four months on a video, you, you, how, how frequently do you get to learn that lesson? You know? Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Like the, uh, the really short stuff we did a million years ago, holds up better than the longer skits that we made. Yeah. Like I'd rather watch like super side or, uh, the conch conch <laughs> video you guys did more than like, uh, no place like home. Or, no, yeah. Yeah. Like, which were actually, yeah, they actually were made like at like the same damn time. Weren't they? Man. Not long after. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. All right. Jeremiah Allworm asks, Kevin, how was the international travel? Maybe going to the wise and where fours. <laughs> Jeremiah goes on to ask with those who have full-time outside jobs on top of guaranteed video, um, how do you try and strike the balance between full-time work and fun time work like that? Hmm. So I recently, I travel a lot for my job. I do a corporate video work for a company that should go unnamed. You can figure it out. If you look it up, we have offices literally all over the world. And in October, my company flew me to Frankfurt, Germany, uh, London, England, uh, Santa Monica, California, and then back to Boston all over the course of about 10 days. And that's not normal. I do travel a lot, but that was pretty crazy. And yeah, I was just shooting interviews and necessary material for projects we're working on in the marketing department of my company. And they basically sent me and my boss out to, to do that. Yeah, it was a real fun trip. I have some friends in Germany who I worked on some feature films with a couple of years ago. So I got to hang out with them. 
Uh, they took me around Mainz, Germany at night when there were still plenty of people walking around for what's called a Futspils. And I probably pronounced that wrong, but that means a walking Pilsner. Mm-hmm. Like foot pills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you pronounce that wrong, it's very similar to the word for foot fungus. <laughs> so if you use a Z instead of an S, <laughs> but that was, that was a highlight of the trip. And also just getting to hang out at the Santa Monica pier all day. I had one day off during that, that trip, that trip. And I took a ton of photographs of just the pier of when everyone goes to, as far as balancing fun time to full-time work. Um, this is something we run into all the time and it's probably our single biggest stressor and obstacle because we just, you know, we all have different sets of responsibilities. Like Neil, I know like without dating it, I know you've been working on like an album. I've been working on two albums. Yeah. You know, you haven't like put a date out there, but I do no, know there yeah. was one thing you wanted done by now. And I don't want to like call too much <laughs> attention to what it was or no, no. But I mean like it, that's just like how it is with me. You know, I, I don't really know how long it's going to take to create the, you know, the final work that I want to create. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I can always be spending more time on it. Um, and I can always be spending more time, you know, with my family as well. Um, so yeah, it can, yeah, it can just, it can get hard to kind of carve out the time we need to do it right, uh, with our videos. And it seems like it's still a semi frequent occurrence that will get together and we'll get ready to film something. And then we'll realize like, Oh, we just don't have enough time to do this. Right. We don't have enough, uh, equipment on hand. I think that happened two times in 2018 or 17. Yep. We were like, fuck it. Let's just hang out. Yeah. And then like, like we had a thing today where we were prepping and we realized we were just ill prepared for this, this idea we want to do. That's very effects based. Yeah. (laughs) It's like almost exclusively special effect shots. So we did a camera test and uh, we're going to come back to it in the near future. Ryan, for you, you work five days a week? Uh, yes. And it's nights too, though. I do overnight shifts, yes. I work at a place on Cape Cod, which, for the sake of confidentiality, will leave it that cryptically vague. <laughs> uh, for a great many people involved. Cape for- Cod, Kentucky. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I do overnight shifts. I, do, I work long hours. And for those of you who have full-time outside jobs on top of guaranteed video, uh, yeah, the biggest thing is just prep work, ha- scripting, storyboarding. Like we all know what it looks like in our mind's eye when we have an idea to shoot, but actually writing it out, even if you're not a hell of a cartoon comic book artist, even if they're stick figures, just for line of sight, just for 180 lines, just for prox- pro- you know, proximity between anything blocking. subjective, anything subjective mm-hmm. can become a problem because like we'll stick with the effects oriented stuff. There's like, so many ways to do this visual we want to do for this upcoming video. And it, it literally requires two completely different elements, probably the same camera, but different lenses, different focal lengths, mm-hmm. uh, different F stops, like all this technical stuff that you just have to nail. My favorite YouTuber is captain disillusion. Yep. Right. Captain disillusion. I do love captain. He's the best. Uh, and whenever we're working on something, I genuinely think like, I just, want to be more captain D less Doug Walker. <laughs> like I just, I just, you know what I mean? I just want I, what I a wonderful spectrum. And you're right. What yeah. a great shoulder angel, shoulder demon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's our, can that be our, yeah, yeah, can that be yeah. our YouTube thumbnail? Yes, Captain <laughs> Captain D on one shoulder saying like, no, do it right. Take the time, get the lights you need, get the, get the you know, like. Uh, be well-informed, like yeah. get balanced audio, redo shots if it's a little out of focus, ADR if need be. Yeah. Doug Walker on the other shoulder, just just grab a friend and just, you know, well, this is usually me actually, but. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's definitely, that is a big, like the professionalism, but also like we need to keep it fun as well. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, those are all things that we kind of, we have to get the sliders just right on top of working around our pretty limiting schedules and where they intersect. With any project, there's going to be like an apex of stress. There's always going to be like, okay, this is like the part we have to hold your breath and dive underwater and just get it done. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I know when we did um, uh, Beyond Believability Factor False, I had that like two or three times because like, I just didn't think it was coming together. I'm like, I'm spending a lot of days filming this. It's like six, seven small movies being glued together. This is before you got your job though, right? Yeah. yeah, But it was just like, what's the connective tissue here? Like what's like, what's like going to plug this together? Cause I I couldn't spend like, it was getting into the second month of working on that video. And I'm like, we spent like eight months making computer fighters. We shouldn't spend three months making our beyond belief parody. Yeah. But that came together because we found a through line through Boston jokes and things like that, which sounds very thin, but it clicked for me. It made the whole thing work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Have we really answered the question? How do you balance fun time with full time? Is it just... It's hard. I mean, you're asking the question because, Jeremiah, again, good question. We've only had good questions. Why would you, like, what if our answer was, oh, it's not hard? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Of course it's hard. Yeah, uh, yeah the more prep work, the better. What we've tried to do with guaranteed video is we know there's going to be an extra compulsion to just make things. Like, we're going to feel more responsible to make something yeah. <laughs> because we have like a monthly clock uh, of sorts. And that's where the podcasts come in and the Vidnight Society comes in. Like things that are just easier to make and a little more pre-scripted or, or they not, don't not need a script. They're not yeah. easier to make, but I would argue they require a little bit less of a, a lightning spark of inspiration. Whereas making a short film, we really need something that we really believe in and we don't always feel it. Midnight society does require work. It yeah. does like lighting and making sure we have things to talk about. And the editing process can take a certain amount of time. But the idea there is like, okay, well, we know we're going to be talking about a music video. So just watch the music video like two or three times, read up on the director and have something to say about the artist. And we probably have a 20 minute discussion. We'll cut down to 12 minutes, right? That's, yeah. that's kind of, mm-hmm. but let's say something like uh, uh fucking year of the snake. It's like three shooting days. And like, yeah, that it, was, that was hard. A lot yeah. of work, like a lot of like, okay, we need an insert shot for the very opening of Ryan's car. Or like as he's driving and it look, every shot of that looks good. Like I'm very happy with it. Is there an easiest time of year, time balance wise, for us to make stuff? The summer usually. Summer seems easier. Well, yeah, for you at least, Ryan. Um, and in in this case, you because you didn't have your job yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just in general, it's just yeah. I think the schedule issue is probably what hamstrings us the most, just because sometimes there's only one day in any given week that we can all get together. And that's not always a day we want to sacrifice to when it rains out sure, <laughs> yeah. yeah, or we're just not a hundred percent ready to do something. Yeah. And we don't want to like marathon, like sprint film something that we're going to have to spend a week repairing later. Like um, we shot the lawn mowing man in like an hour. I love mm-hmm. to tell people that, you know, another thing about those <laughs> days, that was a couple of years ago when we made that I lived in you Somerville. Were, yeah, yeah. You were living in Somerville. We were living in the same town. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case anymore. We all ha- kind of have to, you know, commute to work. Uh, for guaranteed video now. So, 
Uh, I guess if it answers your question, there are a lot of variables that we could change that would result in us putting out uh, stuff more often. And they aren't things we can necessarily change, but the fact that you found us uh, appropriate people to ask that question to is a little reaffirming that just just that you consider us people who actually produce the goods, basically. Thank you, Jeremiah. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Jer we've addressed the fact here on this podcast and on yeah, between Guaranteed Audio and of course on GuaranteedVideo.com. We have adapted with the times. We do th shows like Ernest Roulette and the Vidnight Society, and we still make short skits between comedy, sci-fi, horror, the things we love. Uh, we have not become social media ambulance chasers, and the market, the, the means of distribution for online content have changed a lot over the years, to the point where that would, some people have shifted to that, becoming ambulance chasers, basically, for content. There are people who have pointed out on the Vidnight Society comment sections, like, why are you doing these, like, obscure videos? Why aren't you talking about, like, a new popular music video? And it's just, we just don't want to talk about that stuff. Yeah. If I was chasing, yeah, Iggy we do it Azalea, a bit. Ariana Grande, Nicki Minaj, like, if you're, like, trying to get things just for hits, things that get, like, billions of hits in 2019 uh we'd be covering some real shit but yeah, we sure. wouldn't know what to say we'd just be confused it'd be like the conan o'brien gamer skits yep <laughs> yeah i mean sonic the hedgehog is the closest we come to that i think we um, asked for it did you know ryan in the first we did it like our fifth episode or something when we were talking about sonic the hedgehog the mm -hmm. whole episode ryan at one point we someone asked like who should play sonic the hedgehog in the movie and ryan said you know what i think jim carrey would do a great sonic the oh, Hedgehog." Wow. you literally said jim carrey was perfect for a sonic movie so it's your fault <laughs> <laughs> next questions from Ravenworks. what would you do if you were safely on a desert island for a month safely safely on a desert island for a month um i'd probably try to work out a lot because the reason I don't get to go to the gym as much as I used to is just lack of free time. Sometimes when I get home from commuting, like I'll go to work for eight, nine hours, get on a train, come home. All right. Safely strongly implies you have plenty of food, water, and shelter. Maybe you can't die on the island and you could like just cheat death every day. It'd be like Groundhog Maybe day. the island, the island is your afterlife. Oh. You were dead the whole time. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, that'd be a really the Egyptian good. gods are yeah, whatever. God, <laughs> hashtag uh, wasted opportunities. I'm, I'm really thinking about it right now. I don't think I would like it. All right. Well, the first thing I think of is Tom Hanks. I'm thinking about Tom Hanks and Castaway. Didn't have a good who, time. Who, no, he, but he was concerned about food and shelter and basic yeah. survival. Uh, but of all the things he learned was not necessarily interpersonal connections to maintain his basic language skills with a volleyball. He learned how to spearfish, and that is like a really useful skill. Yeah, I think that would I, I would have to give myself some sort of challenge to learn and teach myself, I think, in order to survive a whole month with no Internet. What would I do? Good question, though. I'd, I'd get good at spearing the fish. Josh Myers I'd writes how to make rope. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Josh Myers has a question. How long were the average earnest discussions? It seems like editing them down was a heroic task. I loved that series, though. Thanks for making it. If you're listening to Guaranteed Audio and don't know what the hell Josh is asking about, we did a... 11 episode series, mm -hmm. 11 episode series about the Ernest P. Whirl films. And then we ranked them yep. on what we thought was the best to the worst. We produced like hundreds of hours of content. It was a lot of it. The average discussion probably was close to two hours. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, yeah, it, we definitely cut a lot of stuff. Out. And Josh, as you can imagine, we had a lot more to say with what our 
irrefutably, objectively, the better movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some Ernest of them were like pulling teeth, man. Yeah. The Ernest Goes to Jail episode in particular, like, I had a hard time cutting anything because I love that movie so much. I, I edited that one, I think. Um, and I remember the more you liked the movie, the easier it was to make animations and unique graphics and like sound based punchlines. But yeah, like Ernest scared stupid and Ernest goes to jail and slam dunk Ernest. Even it was just, we just kept going. I think at some point we started to use a timer or like a little clock or something to just keep us on. We, on we turned on the alarms on the cameras from when the camera stopped recording because the oh, yeah. batteries would die or something. Cause we, we lost footage a few times. There's a couple episodes where if you're paying attention, we stop using certain camera angles. <laughs> it's three. like, oh, there's, they haven't shown all three of them yet for 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 like the last ten minutes. We oh, don't shoot on real, we don't shoot on traditional video cameras. We shoot on Sony mirrorless bodies, which sometimes after thirty minutes they stop so they don't overheat. Mm-hmm. I've hacked my cameras so they go longer than thirty minutes, despite the uh, the built-in thirty-minute time limits. I think we answered the question right. Probably like two hours on average. Uh, yeah. On some of them, not all of them. Not though, on average. But, yeah. We never went over two hours. We do like two a day at our best, right? Do we try three once and it like failed miserably? I can't remember. The first one, we tried to do three in one day. Yeah. We did Dr. Otto camp and Christmas, and by Christmas, we were fading. Yeah. I certainly was I fading. I can speak for audible. myself. I think because we, we redid Christmas. Oh, like, stop. Yeah. Like, we can't do this. It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you're like, we're just going to do a million shoots in one day, never works. Yeah, but no, it's super easy. I think this very podcast is going pretty long now. Oh, sure. Riley Johnson's got a great question. Over. All right. Riley Johnson asked, what is the spookiest slash most haunted place you've been in Massachusetts? Also, how do you feel about the Sonic redesign? Well, thank you, Riley. We already <laughs> answered the Sonic question, and we appreciate that. I love finding spooky, scary places here in Massachusetts. Yeah, this is your question. Before I say my bit, what do you guys? That abandoned tuberculosis hospital. It's pretty cool. When my brother went to college at UMass Dartmouth in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, there was the the very bare bones remnants of an abandoned amusement park, and there just aren't a lot of abandoned amusement parks left Mm. with the roller coaster and all the other stuff just rusting through like Silent Hill imagery. Uh, That was great. Could you repeat the question to me? Sure. What is the spookiest slash most haunted place you've been in Massachusetts? New Hampshire. Hey! All right. <laughs> the, the hospital, I really don't have a good answer. The hospital I was thinking of was in Hanson. It was demolished in 2017. Ah. Uh, it was a tuberculosis sanatorium, the Cranberry Specialty Hospital. Uh, and Joe Botch and I went there probably in like 2006 or seven. We just uh, hopped in my car. We drove up into the woods. We got like a stone's throw away but there was security driving around the hospital at night. So Joe and I were like on it, like going army man, like arms and knees, like on all fours, like climbing through like the grass, getting as close as we could. But yeah, there's a lot of spooky abandoned hospitals in Massachusetts. The whole place is kind of spooky. I mean, the suburbs are loaded with woods and slender man and shit. Yeah. And there's usually plenty of old houses laying around. Um, (laughs) So, for Riley Johnson's question, if you were to answer it in the form of, if you were going to come to Massachusetts, say for a week, but you don't want to do the Freedom Trail and the other touristy shit, you want to do like a spooky haunted Massachusetts. Number one, hop down to Fall River and see the Lizzie Borden house. It's a bread and breakfast. They do guided tours. They've kept it in period time uh, furniture and recreations and things. It is a very fun way to spend like half the afternoon. Or morning, whatever. Or for more, uh, as they say, money, you can spend the night. Uh, another great place uh, 
is the Bancroft Tower. The Bancroft Tower is a creepy old castle up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Right, and I went there once. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, that is a fun place. It's a great photo op. You go there, and you're going to take like so many places that are Instagram hotspots. You're going to take the same angle that everyone else takes. <laughs> so just walk around, have fun with it. What about a Cordage Park? You guys remember breaking in there? Oh, yeah. Well, Cor- tragically, Cordage Park is... Uh, no, not tragically. Cordage Park is up and booming, and there's all these great condos built next door, and it's like thriving, which mm. the opposite of... I mean, as much as I love spooky abandoned places, I also want like a place to be successful. Yeah. I don't remember going and Cordage Park was uh where we worked for Plymouth Rock Studios. But there was like an abandoned rope factory right on the water in Plymouth and Cordage Park. I never went in there. I broke in there a few times with friends oh, with video cool. cameras and flashlights. And I don't have the tapes anymore. Oh. It bums me out, but it was really creepy. And then years later I befriended the guy whose dad owned the building. Mm-hmm. I totally could have just asked him if I could go in there. <laughs> uh, down Another place down in Fall River, next to New Bedford, which, yeah, the Fall River is where the Lizzie Borden house is. The Freetown, the Freetown Fall River State Forest is allegedly from people, uh, is part of the Barnstable Triangle, which for those of you who are into cryptids and coast to coast and all that fun stuff, just Google the Barnstable Triangle. I'm so, yeah. The, I'm sorry. Barnstable. The bridge. The Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, the bridge. Oh, this yes. is a bad documentary about. It's that terrible. One. Do your own homework. It's really <laughs> bad. Uh, but yeah, the Freetown State Forest, the Fall River State Forest, uh, has a bunch of spooky stories. People claim there's UFOs, which they're not. Uh, and tragically, there's a bunch of uh, actual bodies found there. Like it has been a dumping ground for legit. It has been a legitimate crime scene. Uh, and. Just another, again, for as long as we're dotting things on the map, Blood Cemetery. Now, Blood Cemetery is technically in New Hampshire. It's in New Hampshire, but it's right over the border. What a great name. That's up there with Skull Cliff. Yeah. yeah. Most of our cemeteries. Oh, Skull Cliff. Again, Kevin didn't make that one up. That one's great. Skull Cliff yeah. is a real place and not a level in like Sonic 3 or something. Yeah. You know, uh, we haven't mentioned Salem yet. Are there no, any, are you're there right. any legitimately spooky it's, parts of Salem? Oh, yeah. I'm sure, depending on your sensitivities. I never thought Salem was all that scary. I, I no. love it to death. I, yeah. Yeah. It's more just, it's more, um, uh, it's just like a Halloween themed place in a pretty fun way. It's wonderful. Um, Predabixel LX asks us, do you guys have any holiday movies you especially love or hate? Do you have a Christmas movie you really like or a New Year's Eve movie <laughs> if such a thing exists? <laughs> I have one, but uh, while I Google something quick like a bunny, Kevin, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe you could discuss a little of the Garfield Christmas special. Oh man, I actually really like the Garfield. Yeah, Christmas I want special. I want you to take that one. That's probably my favorite TV Christmas special. Um, up there with the Wienerville Hanukkah special. No, the um, the Garfield Christmas special. Have you seen it, Neil? Uh, I don't think I've seen the whole thing. You've shown me bits of it. It's very uh, yeah. touching. It's surprisingly touching. It's just made by the same animation house and creative team that made the late '80s, early '90s Garfield and Friends cartoons, and it's just about John Arbuckle bringing Odie and Garfield to his family's farm and he hangs out with his brother and his parents and his grandma it's only like 25 minutes or something so you should really just watch it it's so heartfelt it's fun it's it it's a warm fuzzy feeling it's and it's in it it's not taking itself super seriously it just kind of it kind of earns it about yeah, halfway it through it. it goes like okay this is what it's like if you're visiting family around the holidays for at least two three nights this is the feeling you get that second night when you're just hanging out with a relative you haven't seen in a while one you get along with <laughs> And you just start like kind of telling stories to one another. And like, that's, that's kind of what the holidays are really about is just sort of like that family touchstone being reconnected. Yeah. For some reason, Christmas movies feel the most holiday movie. Like, you know, there's 
plenty of horror movies and movies that take place around Halloween, but those are often a bit more than just a holiday movie. Whereas Christmas movies are really specifically, oh, you really need to watch this at Christmas, right? Like Ernest Saves Christmas. Exactly. You're not going to watch that in the middle of the summer or whatever. Dumbasses would make themselves watch Christmas. Um, So I will say, uh, well, my joke answer is uh, President's Day for uh, Gremlins 2. But um, (laughs) no, uh, Muppet Christmas Carol. I watched that last year and it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Holds up really well. What about you, Ryan? Oh, uh, I have a very specific. It is the 1985 Rankin and Bass production, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. Now, we all know some of the more popular Rankin and Bass things like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman, the old school stop motion films. Yeah. Yep. The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus is a very strange film. Uh, It is based on a children's book that I, I would love to see about how... Santa Claus was raised by a tigress. It begins with like a council of elder gods deciding whether or not Santa Claus gets to become a god. And I kind of remember seeing this. <laughs> he was raised by a tigress. And then as he entered adolescence, like the, the, the like Thor or um, Odin or, or, or Christ or something. Oh, let me try that again. There's nothing about Jesus. Jesus is far removed from this Christmas. There's no wise men. There's no Bethlehem. There's none of that. He's raised by wizards. There's a battle at the end where they fight a dragon, and there's these, there are these monsters called the Agua. Um, this is where Christmas comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's sort of the like, like the god of the wind, like teaches uh, when when Santa Claus gets of age and he leaves the tiger, the tiger that like raised him and his elf. Fr- I swear to God. <laughs> And he like brings him like hold my robe and fly with me. And he teaches like some people. It's like it's like the origin stories of the Buddha. Like some people get old and some people get sick, and this could happen to you Wait, too. They came out in eighty five. Yes. So Santa Claus the movie came out in nineteen eighty five. Oh, it was a big year for Santa movie. Apparently, <laughs> is that the one with John Lithgow as the villain? Yeah. Excellent. Ernest Saves Christmas is like what eighty eight. Yeah, eighty eight. Yeah. Man, a lot of straight up Santa Claus movies in the mid eighties. <laughs> They were all about commercializing on sacred things. Tell you what, I'm not going to spoil too much of the story, but the life and adventures of Santa Claus, the first sentence from the Wikipedia page, and I quote, long ago in the forest of Burzee, a council meeting is held where the great Ock tells the story of Santa Claus to the leaders of the immortals, hoping to persuade them to grant Claus immortality. Yes, Ryan. Everyone knows the story of Santa so, Claus. <laughs> I'm not going to LeVar Burton this thing. If you are sick of boring Christmas narratives, uh, when him Strap fighting in the, for this one, yeah. <laughs> the black dragon of the Agua, like I'm telling you, you're not going to be disappointed. They must have just read all the wrong signals for how much <laughs> everyone loved Rudolph. They're like, oh, they really liked like the Island of Misfit Toys and the Abominable Snowman. Let's just go big. Just go big or go home. Yeah. Here's the story of Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. So that's later than I uh, thought they were making their stuff. Did they have any stop motion Rankin Bass films after that? I don't know. But I, I also just remembered that it's actually based on L. Frank Baum, the, the guy who wrote The Wizard of Oz. He wrote the original children's story that it's based on. Oh, okay. so it was that pretty... explains it. <laughs> yes, it does. They were making stuff. Yeah, for a while. They did like traditional animation. They made, I mean, I see. Right, because they did The Hobbit. They had a movie from 2001. But the, but like the stop motion style specifically, I feel like that 
stopped at some point. And that might be the last video. Uh, last last one stop motion I see is the life and adventures of Santa Claus. That oh, killed it. That killed it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to ask Neil, cause I went on for a while about my, my love of the Garfield Christmas special. Mm-hmm. It's predominantly because my, my family and I watched it a bunch and I have memories of my dad loving it so much, but what was it about the Muppet Christmas Carol that got you? I can actually remember seeing it in theaters, Yeah, which is cool. Um, and it's like a, it's, it's like a pretty big movie to remember seeing. It's got all these different, you know, like very different sequences and, um, very different kind of centerpiece puppets and characters, um, and, uh, and special effects and stuff. So it's like a really big memory for me. I have a question for but, you, Neil. But having watched it as an adult, I realized, oh, they, they used like enough of the original text, which is really well written. And it's just like a... It's the first movie that they did after Jim Henson died, and it's like a really good. Is Michael Caine? Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yes, he's good in it, right? Yeah, Michael, yep. yeah. Michael, Michael Caine's a really good Scrooge. Um, he's good as George C. Scott or Patrick Stewart. <gasps> oh, I think George C. Scott might be my favorite That's too. A really good one, uh, Neil. Yes. Outside of a Muppet Christmas Carol, do you and Kevin weigh in if you got some? The Muppets Family Christmas was a made-for-TV special. I don't Does know if I've seen that one, but this one's great. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Uh, that also rules. That's right. Yeah. Did, does anyone remember? Uh, what, the, there's a repeating phrase in it. Watch out for the icy patch or look out for the ice. Something about every character who comes to the house in this like, you know, folksy Christmas special. Everyone keeps slipping on the same icy patch. I like vaguely recall it airing maybe on Nick Jr. once or something like that. But um, I, I haven't seen that one. Yep. Muppets Family Christmas is the, I, I wonder if it has a wider distribution, if it's on a streaming service, if you can get it on Blu-ray, I don't know. I don't know. Disney owns it. Of course they do. <laughs> we all, we should all watch Scrooged sometimes. <laughs> we did. Bob Cat. Did, we, did we watch Scrooged already? It was like one of the first movies we all watched together. We should watch it again. It's great. Yeah. Bill Murray really is struggling. <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. Uh, it's He and uh, Richard Donner infamously had a huge falling out making that movie because it was Bill Murray's return to American movie making. After Ghostbusters, he kind of took off for a while. He mm-hmm. had the cameo in Little, Little Shop, Shop of Horrors. Horrors. It's like it's so such a good cameo. <laughs> um, but then he's like, "Okay, I'm ready to like lead a movie again," and like he's basically just screaming and being manic the whole movie because that's what he thought Donner wanted out of him. Like if you watch that it, movie, is super aggressive. I I kind of like that about it though. Yeah, like I I, I mean that, that movie is that movie is wonderful. Um, it's a very. Uh, it feels a little bit ahead of its time with like the like the dripping cynicism, yeah, and just like black humor of it. It it's it holds up because of it's it. kind. Of, I mean, it has a Danny Elfman score, and it feels post Tim Burton in a lot of ways. But it's actually the same year Tim Burton really like did Beetlejuice, so it's it, it's not really I, man Bobcat Goldthwait's descent into a hideous drunken wretch, i.e., Smithers who shot Mister Burns. Yeah, perfect is casting with that so guy. good. Let's just talk about good Scrooge days for a minute. Karen okay. Allen, yep, fucking Bobcat Goldthwait, John Glover. There's so many good people Carol in that movie. Kane, yep. Buster Poindexter, he's the cab driver goblin. <laughs> oh my god, more he like has a, a real name, uh, David Johansson. Yeah, yeah, but that's like that's like the best line in the movie is Niagara Falls, Frankie. Like that's you know that's where the movie kind of earns itself. There's an episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force that I think accidentally references Scrooge. <laughs> I don't know. Is, or, or well, like the Scrooge. first ghost he meets in that in that movie is like a decomposing corpse. Played by, is that Jack Palance? I think you're just thinking he of, does have a golf ball in the back, but he was killed yeah. accidentally on the links. I yep, remember being very course. gruesome as a kid and thinking like, this is a comedy. Jamie really? Farr. 
I don't know. That's Jacob Marley. It's Jamie Farr. Might be Jamie Farr. Yeah. Yep. That would be Marley, the one who the first ghost of like, I'm here to warn you about the ghost. But he's under a lot of makeup and I think sunglasses maybe or something like that. Yeah. It's just kind of it's it's a grotesque Christmas comedy. It is, I think, my favorite depiction of the ghost of Christmas future. Oh, man. Yeah. That was wonderful. That yeah. like holds up. That's like, yeah, really intense. <laughs> And he's similar in um, Muppet Christmas Carol. The, mm, sure. They, they have kind of a similar design. I think the Murray brothers play Frank Cross's brothers in the movie, too. Oh. Like, they show, like, his family having yeah. dinner without him because he's, like, kind of not invited. So you got Brian Doyle. And, and they're uh, all, like, bummed out. Like, they're all, like, hoping he's okay because he's kind of, like, a re- like he kind of doesn't get involved with the family anymore. Yeah. It sounds so generic, but it's got heart. That movie's got... You can't... I mean, uh, Christmas... That's the whole point of... Christmas Carol. It's like one of the most this has heart stories ever made. So it's just like by, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you could make that movie without it being kind of touching. You'd have to really fuck it up. I'm sure to call back to Ryan's point. (laughs) Jim Carrey. The Jim Carrey one. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, Made by our boy Robert Zemeckis. The Robert Zemeckis one. Yeah. Not so good. I hear. Yeah. But it's just such a good story with a built in three act structure. I guess the idea of like reinventing it as a modern day story. Mm -hmm. I can't think of another time someone's done it since Scrooged. There's probably like some TV movie that did it. Funny. Yeah. You only get to do it the first time once. And that seems to be, I I assume Scrooge is the first time they did it (laughs) because it's the one everyone remembers. Is it? I think people remember Scrooge, right? More than Muppets. Well, that wasn't modern day is what I'm saying. It wasn't Dickensian. It was, it's 1988 New York city. Yeah. So remember the, (laughs) the marketing for that movie. We watched the trailer, uh, when we, (laughs) right before we watched the movie to like pump ourselves up. This is like 10 years ago. And the trailer heavily relies on hey Ghostbusters. Bill, Mur- <laughs> Bill Murray was in Ghostbusters. Yeah, like he's back. <laughs> well, Bill to Murray's the back. Ghost. To, yeah, back to dealing with ghosts again. And they show like w- one of the few roto lightning effects in the movie that evokes the Ghostbusters look. Totally. Then, yeah, yeah. Okay. And our final question for Guaranteed Audio episode fourteen comes from Bella. Bella writes in most episodes. I like Bella. When given the chance to customize your main character on a video game you're playing, what is your go-to customization? Do you just make yourselves or do you have any preferences of what you enjoy pretending to be? Hmm. I usually just make myself, but like an idealized version of myself. Like, I don't know. Like if I have the, like if I'm playing fallout games, I tend to do like greaser style me. I keep Mm -hmm. the facial hair and all that stuff, but it's usually, yeah, sometimes I do that. Other times it it feels inappropriate. Like uh, Ming was playing dream daddy and she, you designed your, your character at the beginning of that. And she tried making me and then, Realize that like, oh, uh, a story where I am like a divorced or widowed father. I forget the plot of that game because she played it, not me. Um, it, like dating like other men and stuff just like felt weird for her. So she went back <laughs> and she made Snape, uh, Severus uh. Snape. And that was that was her daddy. So um, it doesn't always it doesn't. Yeah, I feel like it needs to be like a specific wish fulfillment kind of thing or or a game where. Uh, the main character doesn't exactly matter. Like, yeah, but I, I, I think, I, yeah, I definitely recall making myself in the Sims and, you know, you always do it in, in, uh, with the, the Miis <laughs> on the Nintendo system. Remember the Miis? Yeah. <laughs> right. What about you? Well, I gotta say, I've been playing a couple of games lately. Uh, I just picked up death stranding when it came out last week. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Cause I might, what if this doesn't come out for another week or two? Well, okay. then you'll know. Uh, Death Stranding, where you just are Norman Reedus, uh, who's doing a good job. Uh, I recently played a bit of Untitled Goose Project, 
That game, game is yeah. great. Untitled Goose Game. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't own a Switch, but I borrowed one. You should play. I'm delightful. You should play I Am Bread because there's like a lot of games that are just like yeah goose game that i feel like everyone's overlooking like i feel like i never heard anyone explode over one of these i'll hit i am bread i, I, I haven't done that yet fun. yeah yeah trover saves the universe uh revisited bioshock infinite re- uh the remake of resident evil 2 from last year i find that most games i play i don't customize the avatar but i can say to answer your question because i didn't uh I find far too often that I just usually go to the default of playing as a man. I rarely play as a girl when the option is unlimited. And as a man, I almost always use a beard. I don't know why. I feel like I have a beard. That's true. <laughs> I, I Mystery <laughs> solved. <laughs> if, if I have an option between playing like pre-scripted, like pre-spec characters, like mm-hmm. in Resident Evil 2, yep. I will usually play as the female first because it's me too. Usually it's like, it's rarer for me. I mean, like there's still tons of like women protagonists in video games, but I've never been particularly attracted to the Tomb Raider series. I like the original Tomb Raider. Well, in my defense, I have been playing as Claire before Leon and Resident Evil two since 1998 and eight. Let me tell you something. I don't, I don't think it's going to change. I just like Claire more. Zombies ate my neighbor. Can't go wrong. They're both cool. They're both cool. Yeah. Um, I do have a story. I won't use their name, but a close friend of mine always, played games as a female character were never given the option to spec out and build their own character like mass effect. Mm-hmm. And over the last four years transitioned into a, she It was like, That's... yeah, it was pretty cool, but it was always a thing that whenever we would talk about video games, my friend would always bring up, like, I just, I don't know. I just don't see the point in playing as a man in these games. Like it's boring. Like so many video game characters kind of all look the same. Now. Yeah. Um, they're all just kind of like, you know, generic protagonist, man. And I want to like do something more interesting with my time. If I'm going to play 80 hours of mass effect, I'd like my character to be more creative and fun looking. So I'm going to be a woman. Uh, Cause that's just the way like the armor and such is designed to those games. So I just, I, th- I thought it was fitting when I found out that friend of mine transitioned. I, it just made me happy. <laughs> did, did that help her in some way or was it more of a, like she knew the whole time and it's just kind of, I've, we haven't talked specifically about it, but I'd like to assume it was allowing her to sort of uh, live out the fantasy, but kind of like, it's like a tiptoe thing. <laughs> I imagine I would love to see some sociologist or other competent adult, um, do a comprehensive peer-reviewed study as to yeah the correlation between um, transgender adolescents and if they do or do not transition and how when playing when uh, bah, 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 playing or participating in video games what gender do they pick their avatar to oh, I, I can almost guarantee you there are videos and articles I'm about sure this someone subject. has at yeah. least broached the subject uh, I can easily see someone finding that the uh, further studies need not be conducted and it's yes exactly <laughs> what you think it is and then going uh, we found our research is inconclusive I better keep getting funded for four years and <laughs> unfortunately that's how like really obvious information yeah. doesn't get disseminated into peer-reviewed articles and that people go hey it's kind of no shit sherlock here but let's keep getting funded does caffeine give people energy let's spend some money yeah we better take a look (laughs) one thing in my defense for kind of playing as myself in almost every video game like designing a character that looks kind of like me a big reason i like to do that is modern video games if they have the ability to say my name i get a big thrill out of that Mm -hmm. like if i'm playing like a sport game and it's like kevin passes to Gretzky or something like that. I like hearing that. Like, oh, yeah. I do like hearing my own name said in the video game. Totally. Yeah. So there's like a mark in my defense. <laughs> I think probably the last time I had a ton of fun uh, customizing a character was probably one of like the wrestling WWE, probably back in the WWF days 
the like N64 games where you could just make these terribly ugly. <laughs> these games do not hold up. Oh, no. Yeah. I have some SmackDown games on my PlayStation Classic we could try at some point. Like, they're terrible. <laughs> and, you know, there are people out there. There are multiple series of, uh, you know, YouTube, uh, you know, video makers who just go into customizable games to make the most ridiculous character. Can- like, Monster uh, Maker? Monster Factory. Yep. Yeah, Monster yeah. Factory. They're- yeah, that's really funny. There was a boxing game on PlayStation 3. You could take a picture of your face and the profile of your face and import it in. Ah. It was like Fight Night Round 4, I think. And it would figure out the geometry of your face and make your face. And some of the <laughs> some of the Cronenberg-ass boxers that came out of that thing are pretty funny to look at. People would like, even if it worked, you could then scale up your head to be way too big on your body. And the boxers actually looked pretty photorealistic for their time. Yeah. For, two, for PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 era visuals. Uh, so you could do some pretty freaky stuff where your head just looked like your neck couldn't support it. <laughs> Things like that. I think that's it for the questions for this episode of Guaranteed Audio, right? As always, you guys have been great. Hopefully you enjoyed us reading off these questions. We predicated most of the episode on it. I guess we're going to try and make a movie in the next year. <laughs> we're trying to make one soon. Um, we almost shot one today. So hopefully that project gets uh, seen through. We'll have some new Vidnight episodes coming out in the near future. And as always, unlike the rest of the civilized world, you guys as patrons get to see them first. <laughs> you got a one up on everybody else. <laughs> I feel like I'm making fun of them for supporting. No, no. <laughs> Thank you very much for your support, listening to our shows and watching our videos. Um, this has been Guaranteed Audio. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Have a great night. Have some good dreams. God. Thank you.